I just want to begin with, if we just have everybody close their eyes and envision just being on a boat with our Lord. As you approach a beach, Jesus just says to you, Disciples, my brothers of the cross, I'd rather minister with you than any army of thousands. Let no one forget how holy we are. We are lions and lambs. You see what's waiting for you on the top of that hill. Cavalry. Salvation. Take it. It's yours. That was uh, Troy, in case anybody missed that. Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. My name is Eddie. My name is Gerardo. And I'm Alec. Today we are talking about ministry numbers and whether or not they are the most important thing or are they important at all. A pretty heavy ministry topic as far as this podcast goes, but we do think that there is a lot that can be taken away on how we live our lives, especially how we interact with people on a day-to-day basis. And we'll touch more on that as we get further along in the episode, but keep that in mind as we're going forward. I'll uh, jump in right away here. I'm not a minister at all, so I'm curious as to how much this comes up for you guys. And also, what's your response when it does, when someone asks about your numbers? I would say my most common response is taken straight from the pages of Nacho Libre with a pile drive to the face. (laughs) That's in the Bible. Punch to the face. (laughs) No, but it really does come up constantly. It seems to be the first thing that people ask you whenever you've gone to some sort of event and i don't think they're doing it maliciously for the most part the average person just wants to like make conversation so they'll say oh how many people did you get to come to your event and it doesn't really seem to be the most important part of what of what you're doing in ministry yeah you know there's a certain pressure that comes with any job regardless if it's in ministry or if it's working retail or whatever it may be that you do um, with ministry, uh, people just want to see a large number. It's this natural inclination to see more people attending what you do and your events that you do. Um, and that large number, in the eyes of the outside outsiders, makes people think that you're doing a good job. And there could be a lot of pressure with, with numbers. I, I feel that a lot of pastors, um, a lot of staff members, and more importantly, parents, um, when they see these when they see these numbers. Um, they want to define your success on that. I would ask, if that's not it, what does determine the success? I think what determines the success of ministry is the fruit of the ministry. Um, you always want to see where the ministry leads, and the the end goal, of course, is to make disciples. But seeing that fruit is plays a vital role in how well you are ministering to the people who are in front of you. In my younger, more vulnerable youth ministry years, <laughs> I was always into like the, the wow effect, just getting people to be like, wow, that's an awesome ministry. Wow, Gerardo's doing such a good job because, wow, look at all those people. And it worked. My pastor like loved it. My my team loved it. And um, outside looking in, parents loved, like were all about that. They were just all about the wow effect of getting people to, to see your ministry and to just say, wow, he's doing a good job because of all the people he's bringing into the youth room. And yeah, I think that that's, that's tough because, you know, you want to have that and you want to seem to be, there's that, that temptation to want to seem good, to want to seem successful. But 
there's so much more to it and you can get people in just people through a door in a, man, a lot of ways that aren't really forming disciples at all. And I would say the really the important thing when it comes to successive ministry is there's two points is the how is the prayer and how is the community? Whatever event that you're doing is it is it being conducive for intentional prayer and is it being in, con, conducive for authentic community where these people can encounter our Lord in your ministry event or are they not? And if they aren't your ministry is not successful and if they are your ministry is so what i'm trying to figure out through all of this is is it kind of you get a lot of people there like what's the approach being taken is it kind of throw spaghetti at the wall see what sticks where you know you get enough people in a room there's bound to be some fruit that comes from it or is it better off to kind of flip it and let's focus on being fruitful with a few and then that will spread to many or are we just kind of missing the mark with this whole approach I would say something that a term that I have coined is called the the ministry conundrum. Just because anytime you can use the word conundrum, I recommend it. I <laughs> still don't know how to spell it to this day. So good word though. Good, good word. Using the Bible a lot also. So yeah. <laughs> is it? No. I don't no. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gullible's written on the ceiling. Buddy. <laughs> uh, the ministry conundrum though. The idea is that as ministers, we want to reach as many people as possible, but at the same time, the more people who are coming to events it seems to be the less fruitful that the ministry is. And so how do you find that balance of wanting to reach as many people as possible while at the same time keeping the quality of the ministry, of the prayer, of the community up as well? Actually, in a quick story about all of that is I remember when I was just out of college, wide-eye innocent, going into the ministry world. I was working part-time at the place where I'm working full-time now, and I'm a big fan of Lexio Divino, especially in the Ignatian contemplation form, where you really engage the imag imagination. I think it's very pr uh, productive, especially for all guys, which is the environment that I'm doing ministry in. And for the getting the guys to experience the Gospels, experience Scripture in a way that is alive to them by painting the picture that I find to be very effective. So one of the first things I did when I got to the campus was to bring a Bible study where we prayed with different Scripture verses in the Ignatian contemplation form every single Tuesday at lunch. And, you know, sometimes we get 10 people there. Sometimes we'd get 15. Sometimes we get less. Sometimes it'd, there'd be maybe even only three. But at this school, I also coach soccer. I work with the freshmen. I'm one of the freshman soccer coaches. And a group of the freshmen got, essentially got all of the freshmen on the freshman soccer team to come to the Bible study, as well as some of their friends. For whatever reason, I don't know. They It's just out of the blue, they all showed up. And it ended up being, so there's like the 15 people that were usually there, plus the entire freshman soccer team, plus however many friends that they brought. And there ended up being like 42 or 43 people there, which is still to this day, you know, three years later, the biggest Bible study that I've ever had there. And to put it bluntly, it was terrible. The actual Bible study was completely ineffective. You know, we only get 30 minutes for lunch. And by the time the kids come in and settle down and we begin, we're really only getting... 20 minutes you could say and the kids just couldn't focus they it was too loud it was too scattered people were scattered all over this room little groups were forming that people would chat during the times of silence and it just kind of became glorified babysitting and it was probably the worst bible study as well as the biggest that i've ever had at the school and the annoying thing was though that while it was going on one either 
I don't even remember exactly what it was. I think it might have been my boss walked through, saw how many people were there. was like, oh. And he so he told somebody. Uh, he was, you know, nothing against him. He told somebody who I think told somebody else. But eventually, like, I think word got all the way up to the provincial of the order, who at the time I hadn't even met. And they all of a sudden started asking questions like, oh, what kind of Bible study are you doing? Oh, what what form are you doing? What Are you using a book? Are you using whatever it might be? Like Using the you, Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Which Bible are you using? <laughs> No, uh, it and it was very annoying because I was like, you have not. This was this happened in the third quarter. This happened after, after soccer season, which is soccer season is in the winter time in California because it never snows, <laughs> and so it was in the th- well into the third quarter when this happened. So it had been happening for been doing Bible study for months now at this point, and no one had ever even taken an interest. But now all of a sudden, because there was this large quantity of people coming into it. It seemed like everybody wanted to know what it was. And I was worried that because like people were coming, it all of a sudden became worthy for attention, which means that people were going to want to do it their own way or however they viewed it. And, you know, that pride piece came in, too, where it said, I don't want you to take this away from me because you think that it's all of a sudden worthy because of the numbers. And like I said, I can't emphasize enough, though, that it was not effective at that point. I've had compared that to with the Bible studies that I've had with two or three people at a time that have been very fruitful where there's been actual steps being taken. Prayer was very good. You can see that the people are actually diving into the scripture because there's no distractions versus the 40 or 42 where it was just impossible. The frustrating thing was, is none of those guys ever came back except for the, like immediately after that, it was right back to normal numbers. And honestly, it's pretty much been consistent ever since where that's about how many people we get to come to Bible study. And I think it's because, any more than that and it just loses its effectiveness why would those guys have come back if while they were there they just sat there and were told to not talk for a little bit and they kind of read the bible and never got to actually share anything because there wasn't enough time or whatever it might be yeah and definitely there is a desire for us as youth ministers to reach as many people as possible we, we want to do that and what makes it a conundrum is by doing that we realize how ineffective uh, we are becoming and how it's not working. There'd be nights where I would get like 300 people in a hall and we would have like praise and worship and we would pray and the night would end and I would reflect on the night and say to myself, I was so busy worrying about worship, worrying about the speaker, worrying about everything that was going on that I completely forgot to speak to anyone. Like I didn't talk to any of the teens who were there. Yeah, I talked to the leader, so I'm gonna see again during the week. But I didn't get to see, talk to or speak with any of the teens um, that came. And I compare that. I always compare this. There was a glor- there was an amazing year in, in ministry at a parish I was at where we uh, had this concept called Open Youth Room. Where from 3 to 6, I would, and I say this um, lovingly, I would work. Um, <laughs> and by work, I mean play FIFA, get ridiculously good at it play Mario Kart and probably watch every single trilogy known to mankind um, in the youth room from for like a three hour span. And that was like four years ago, I think when, when that three, four years ago, maybe when I was doing that at this parish I was working at. And I look back at that now and I see every teen who went to open youth room for those two years where I was a youth minister at this parish, I still am in constant contact with. I may not be, be in your face with them about Jesus, but I check up on them. I talk to them about, are, are you guys going to mass? I know you're in college, like what's going on? But I still have a relationship and the trust built from seeing them and walking with them rather than 
being in front of a confirmation class and talking at a group of teens or being at an event and talking to a large group of people. Uh, there's a big difference, I believe, with talking at teens and walking with teens. It's hard to walk with teens when you have a ton of people in front of you. Yeah, and I think at that point, you eventually just become, I think I said it earlier, but a glorified babysitter, which I think a lot of times people who on the outside looking in to youth ministry jobs see us as either glorified babysitters or event planners, where it's just you just put on these events that people come to that they're at church, so therefore it must be a good event or like, you know, whatever it might be. And I just, I don't think that that is, obviously that's not what ministry is. And that cannot be the scale with which we are weighed is how many people are there yeah this idea of a mob mentality always comes up too where just people show up because they're, they're bringing a friend along or they're bringing someone along um in their friend group or an entire friend group or a soccer team you know comes to this and which is cool it, it's awesome to have that and to have those people there but is everyone just going there because a lot of people are there they say oh you know, that parish has more teens going. I'm going to go to that parish because there's more teens going or more people going to that one. Yeah. Well, to, to jump in here, is it necessarily a bad thing? I mean, if that's how people are being introduced to the gospel and being introduced to God, if it is through friends, maybe, you know, peer pressure sounds a bit pejorative. It might even just be like the encouragement of friends that introduces people. Does that have to be a bad thing? No, and I don't think it necessarily needs to be. There is a, a good element of peer pressure that you could say good peer pressure. But I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I was walking around campus saying, oh, we have Bible study or oh, we're teaching apologetics at lunch today or there's adoration at lunch today, you guys should come. And they'll, they look at their friend. And they say, oh, I'll go if he goes. And then he goes, well, I'll go if he goes. And then neither one of them show up. If I so no one goes, so no one goes and I'm sitting there alone. That's always there. And I think that that's that peer pressure where it's they only want to go if their friends are there or they only want to go if other people are there or if you know this church has the better pizza or not and i do think it can be good to papa get john's. people through the door but the problem is better pizza papa john's <laughs> better pizza better ministry papa john's <laughs> and it's good to get people it's good to have that peer pressure if it's getting them through the door but the problem is, is if it becomes reliant on that then eventually when that is taken away when there isn't pizza at the youth night or their friend isn't going or that pretty girl who they like that's going is no longer going anymore. They stop going and whatever interaction air quotes encounter with God they experienced fades away because that reliance on that mob mentality, that reliance on the peer pressure, the reliance on the wow effect. If you want, that's like, I'm a part of something that's really big can almost become a crutch that hinders you from entering into and engaging in a real relationship with Christ. So it's not bad, but it's definitely a very, very small stepping stone that needs to quickly be left, I would say. That makes sense. But then would you say that the problem is with the follow-up or they're kind of getting in under the wrong pretenses? So the idea that, yeah, sure, get them in the same way, but we need to change the way that we approach it once they're in? Or do you want to bring them in differently entirely? I guess, what what's your solution? I think the, the solution, what is the solution? Let me tell you how long you got. Now, obviously, there's no perfect solution, but I do think that essentially a way to sum it up is that ministry needs to be slow and unproductive. I think we get very caught up with how productive can we be without talking about that ministry conundrum where I can get 100 people through the door. But are you actually going to be effective in that? Like we've said a bunch of times. 
but so you look at the example of just from scripture itself. Jesus really only chose 12. He had a bunch of other followers, but he focused on 12. And even within those 12, he really focused in on three. I think we as ministers tend to be very prideful and say, I can do better. Be like, Jesus, I know you only chose 12, but hold my beer. Watch me. I'm going to do better than you can. Jesus, not only did he choose 12. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make 60. I'm going to take as many as I can. I'm going to do what you did with 12 disciples over three years. I'm going to do that with 60 people in two hours. It's not, it's just obviously not going to work. And, you know, there's a fear almost of rejecting people too when it comes to, you know, choosing leadership. You know, Jesus, again, specifically chose 12 people. And I've had pressure when people apply for leadership in ministry to select everyone. And there are times when I have interviewed leaders or, or seen leaders in front of me and spoke with them. And I've said to myself, this person is not ready to lead, but there's a pressure to choose them. So not only are we having this pressure of ministry numbers in like what's in front of us at events and, and all that, but we're having it just in leadership, just choosing the leaders that are put in front of us. And th- I think there's a fear in, so in trusting a smaller amount because you think, oh, if I only choose 10 people, then that's more work on me to get more people to come. And again, it goes back again to getting more people mm. when you just really don't focus on those 10. Can I jump in there? Does it feel like almost that you're doing them a disservice by rejecting their leadership that you might, you feel like you might be turning them a bit away from the faith? We're like, oh, if I'm not a leader, maybe God's calling me or maybe God's not calling me. And that's the problem. I think Eddie said it perfectly too. We think we're better than Jesus. And we get this savior complex where if I say no to this kid, he's, he's going to sin like crazy more than the men on sinners take. (laughs) Like he's going to sin a lot. Or if I say no to this kid, he's never going to go to mass again. God's never going to like enter into his life. And we all see those redemption stories. We all know God has his way in in working in the lives of certain people and us playing that savior complex. I think we put ourselves in the role that we are Jesus and that we are doing the saving. And if we accept them, they're going to be saved because we're amazing youth ministers. And if we reject them, they're not going to be saved because we're amazing youth ministers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the simple, you know, easy way out of that answer is I feel, I genuinely think if their entire faith is that fragile to the point where something like this, you throw that pebble at it or even that stone or even a thousand ton brick at them and it shatters, then it's not the strong kind of faith that we're talking about. That's, you can even make the argument, not true faith at all. And if it's, if it, you're just delaying it at that point. I think like if that, if their faith is that fragile, they need to, they need to have it broken so it can be rebuilt in the right way. And that savior complex is very present. And I know that that honestly was the, I say is the biggest thing I learned in ministry. My first year of like every year I try to do a, what like sit down and think, what did I really learn this year? And that was the biggest one. One, two, and three was you're not a savior. And I remember I was, there's a specific person who I really wanted to try and get involved in kind of similar way what Gerardo was talking about. And I was trying to find a way to make it work. And it's just every single thing that was happening was saying, no, this is not happening. And I was like, no, I can, I can finagle it. And eventually God was just saying, he said that to me, you're not this person's savior. I'm this person's savior. And you're honestly getting in my way right now because you think you're trying to take the short route. Like their path is much longer than this. And you're trying to skip very important steps that this person needs to go through. And that's very hard. 
one because we're afraid that of people going to hell like we don't want our yeah. teens to be like it's really really sucky when you find out that somebody who you were very close with and walked with is just not living the faithful life at all hurts a lot but also we want to be able to say this person was you know another notch on the belt or another merit badge you know we got popular kid billy to the quarterback come to church yeah we got the we got the quarterback well, how does that distancing kind of work? Because I imagine that takes away. So when you don't succeed, you have to remember that it's not necessarily on you. But also when you do succeed and succeed here being, you know, get people to that point in their faith. It's not necessarily on you as well. So kind of remembering that you don't get the glory or the blame as much. That is the truth, right? We don't get the glory or we, we, we shun away the glory. In, the, in our failures, we for sure will get the blame. And I think that that's, that's scary um, to see. And I, that's why a lot of youth ministers, I think, hide behind those numbers and, and they brag about those numbers because they want people to know they are doing a good job in their ministry and this is how I'm doing a good job because I have a lot of people here and I have a lot of people coming to this. Uh, in Orange County especially, um, there are a lot of great youth ministries and I felt this pressure to succeed and to brag about my ministry um, because everyone else was doing it and bragging about it. And I began to hide behind the numbers of my confirmation class because I was in a medium-sized parish, I believe. Uh, and I was hiding behind who was coming to my confirmation class. Of course, when when I have them, when my teens are required to go to five youth nights throughout the year, I'm going to have at least 60 to 70 kids at every youth night because that's how the numbers um, worked out. But I, it was always a question in my head of if it was always a question in my head. A simple question is, you know, in hiding behind the numbers. And I this is a whole other debate about confirmation, too. But if confirmation was moved to like middle school or even younger, like, you know, back to another age, how many teens would I see as a high school youth minister who would come? And I think that would be a good judge for how well you're doing ministry. And we don't necessarily get the same measure now because if they finished it in middle school, you would see them through high school. Whereas when they finish it in high school, they might be moving on to college or moving away. So you don't get that follow up. Yeah, definitely. It's harder to, um, I think, follow up in high school and to get people and to know who is actually there because they want to be there with the whole mom mentality and everything going on. We, we lose sight of, is he here because he wants to be here or is he here because his friend's here? Is here because it's a requirement. He seems like he's paying attention, but is he really paying attention? So I think those are a lot of questions that come up um, yeah. with with this whole numbers game. Yeah, I think it it is easy to hide behind numbers when you have a lot of people coming. And it's interesting to see is how many people, how many ministers who work in big parishes, but that's all they kind of do is just focus on that confirmation. And I have a lot of people coming. Uh, how many of them would actually have jobs if they took the confirmation requirement out like how many people would actually come because they're encountering jesus in these in these events who knows you know and i think this is kind of dumb but arnold schwarzenegger said once you know our old governor and honestly to be honest i don't even know if he actually said this i think i read it somewhere once but it's one of those quotes where it's like wikipedia in your head. it's like in your head forever and then you never bother to fact check it again as <laughs> yeah. you get older but i just remember reading something about arnold schwarzenegger saying that when he would do push-ups, he wouldn't start counting until he was tired. 
you know, his was probably a lot more than mine, but let's say theoretically you do 20 good push-ups and you're really tired, then you have to do a certain amount of push-ups while you're tired because it doesn't even really count for the ones that like, you know, you're just getting yourself tired because if you're like, I can do 20 push-ups without getting tired, you're not going to be getting stronger. Apply that to ministry in a way is that how many people are there because they don't, when they don't have to be, and how many people are there because they want to be, those are the people who like actually count the people Mm -hmm. who, and they can also be required to be there. Like it's okay if they're required to be there, but also want to be there. But you know, we can't just say I've got 50 kids coming, but all of them have to be here and none of them really want to be. It's not uh, a fair measure of the fruit of your ministry. Again, to come to the large group settings here, it cannot be done in large events, and so they need to be avoided, or is it something to work towards? So we start with the 12, or we start with the 3, we start with a 1, and then we want to work our way towards a large group, or does it kind of, by its own nature, need to not be that large of a group to be effective? Yeah, and I think it's important just to, you know, kind of reframe this at the same time as it's easy for us to just bash on the big events but it doesn't change the fact that we live in a world of high school confirmation and i do not have the authority gerardo does not have the authority alec does not have the authority to say no more confirmation requirements this is the world we live in we live in a world of high school confirmation especially in our diocese you get confirmed in high school there's high school there's confirmation requirements now you can make some change with that but for the most part you have to make do with what the world you're born into and so having 50 60 100 kids at a youth night is not a bad thing like that's a good thing if you have people there there's opportunity there so those those big nights are are good it's it's also good to have nights throughout the year where they are just having fun eating pizza playing games there's nothing wrong with people coming together like and spending time with their friends learning to just enjoy each other's company in a non like we're praying every moment of every of the whole night those are good to have as well, but it's not enough to just have those fun things. And it's not enough to just have those big events. So what I'm saying is, is you can have them and they're good and they serve a purpose. But if you are a minister who is short on manpower, you know, I know people who work as a, the only person, the only youth minister, and he works part time. He only pay him for like whatever, 10 to 15 hours a week. And that's it. And he's the only person in the entire Parish, you just—I think Gerardo, you just worked on a retreat that that was the case, right? Yes, it was a hard retreat. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's a nightmare scenario where it's got to be. So you're working. You've got minimal budget, obviously. You've got minimal time. You have, and you have minimal sanity as a person. And you're looking at what is the most important things to do. And the bulk of bulk of what you are saying and bulk of what you are doing and most of your time is going to these large events because you got to figure out food, you got to figure out chaperones and transportation. And that's where all of your time is going. You're wasting your time because you're not going to see fruit in ministry. So your ministry is not going to bear the proper long lasting fruits of good, authentic discipleship. If this is all that your ministry is offering is these big events. And it's hard to not make these blanket statements because, like I said, it's possible that, you know, like I said, if you find yourself as a minister who only does big events and you have really fruitful ministries, love to hear from you. But we know from scripture that that's just not the case. And Jesus does, he does preach to thousands at a time and that's good. But then he does walk with people individually. And if you look at the people who he really, that really experienced change, it's always a one-on-one or, or or a small group where 
they are encountering and you know the, the large crowds are very fickle the large crowds come and go the large crowds get angry when things don't go their way and that's tough so it's important to minister to the 5000 but it's most important to be walking with the 12 walking with the one walking with the three cuz you do get a lot of people who are just there for the show like we talked about the wow factor people who are there because people are crying they know people are going to be crying or they're there because the free food or the free games or the pretty girls and when that the show of the ministry wears off they're left with no actual encounter and so they they move on they on to the next on to the next best thing which is again i think you know there's a lot of that and we see where people move churches a lot and uh care a lot about you know the music of the church versus the prayer of the church or the whatever it might be the lighting of the church versus the prayer of the church um, and we love our big events as we're especially i feel like catholics are late to the party when it comes to this stuff and we're like really acoustic, into acoustic guitars yeah <laughs> this is a brand new instrument called the guitar you guys ever heard this it's, it's like it's like a cello but you like turn it over <laughs> and and there's also like this piano which is like an organ but sounds like way better and is way cheaper and way easier to play who would have thought but, but we love we love our big events we love our large conferences we love our uh xlts we love crazy big retreats but like i said a little earlier if you are looking at down the barrel at the beginning of the year you're calendaring for what's going on and you know that you have very minimal budget and very minimal time and very minimal resources, and you're looking at what is the most important thing in your ministry, XLTs, conferences, these things, in my opinion, should be the first to be cut from your budget, from your calendar. Because without proper follow-up to them, they will bear almost no fruit. You know, because if you just look at it, you're if so much time you have to for these big events, you have to find transportation, which is so expensive. You have to book a speaker, which is very expensive a lot of times you have to book a band which is very expensive you have to find food you have to find chaperones there's a lot that goes into a two-hour night financially and manpower wise and like i said without the proper follow-up they won't bear long lasting fruits now i cannot emphasize enough that these things are good they serve a purpose in the church if you have the resources for them they're kind of like a boosted starting point for the faith people have genuine encounters or of Christ that like really spark them to like make change. You can think of it as if you're starting a Mario Kart race and you, you know, each Mario Kart's a little bit different, but you time the gas right at the right time. So you, when it says go, you get a boost. That's essentially what it is. Is it starts you off with a bang going in the faith. And I think that that's really awesome, but it's useless if you don't have, if you were to get the boost at the beginning of the Mario Kart and then take your foot off the gas and don't steer, you're going to, lose obviously you're also perfectly capable of winning the race yes. if everyone gets a boost but you yeah you could spin out especially with items in mario kart you could spin out and wait like almost an entire lap well, and still win well we all know in mario kart you you have to be in last place going into the last lap to win, <laughs> to win. that's the that's the secret yeah, formula guys right in the sweet spot where you can get a good item going into the last lap so if you want to go to heaven being last place Being all the last way till the end. Shall be first. That's what he meant. That's what he meant. Gosh, Mario Kart, Bible. So you could think of that those those large events, those retreats, those XLTs as it's a it's a bright fire. It's a fire that like it's the the accelerant, the starter that it comes in, burns really really hot, 
but also burns very, very fast. You could think of anytime that you're building a fire, it's the kindling. It's what you need to burn because it, it lights really easily, but then you have to put it on something. You have to put it onto something that is meant to burn for a long time. And if you don't, it will quickly and rapidly burn out very bright. And this, what do we see all the time in ministry is people who go on these events, have an amazing week, two weeks, three weeks, sometimes day, who they're like, oh my gosh, I'm on fire for the Lord now. I'm going to change everything about my life. And then immediately they, they're hit with the first difficult part of their life and burn out completely right away. And they fall right back into their ways. It's a classic story that we hear. I think it's because they, they never were, that fire wasn't put onto something that is lasting. Yeah, and you know, we're not bashing on big events. We know like a lot of work is put into them, and there's a lot of people who put their focus in them. Um, and these events can bear fruit if it's followed up properly, like what Eddie was saying. There's an encounter after the event. I, I believe, too, it's always important for teens or young adults to see the church at a larger scale. I'm a firm believer that every single teen or every single young adult should like go to a conference and, and experience mass with like thousands of people because it really does change your perspective that your little faith is bigger than what it is in front of you at, in your small local church. But I think that these, that these are just things that help you like jump, like Eddie said, jumpstart to get you through rough patches. Um, they're an initiator, but they're not always necessary in an encounter and experience. There have been plenty of people who I've met who have never been to a, a Steubenville conference. For the record, at the time when this was recorded, I still have never been to a Steubenville conference. And just, Eddie went to Steubenville. Just the four-year conference. Stupidville. <laughs> and the next day, Eddie was fired. <laughs> In reality, I, they're the holiest people, some of the holiest people I've met have never been to any ma- large-scale large or major event. And again, it, it helps some people. It doesn't help other people. It's necessary sometimes, but it's not always necessary to ignite and jumpstart your faith. All right, so let me see. Me as the layman, non-minister, if I've got this right. Best case scenario, we've got large event followed by small group, maybe even individual follow-up. That's where we want. If we had our druthers, all the resources we could have. After that, we got to make cuts, get rid of the large event, but make sure you maintain that small group, one-on-one resources is going to be more fruitful than, I guess, worst case scenario there would be just the large events with no follow-up kind of like hey here's a great thing figure it out yeah i think exactly it's it's uh it's best case scenario to have it all a little bit worse it's worse but only a little bit worse to say you lose the large group events but you really put all your effort into those small those small events you like you really give it your all that's okay like you're you're gonna see probably in the long term the same fruit Versus huge drop off is if you're letting the the good events fall by the wayside. I mean, the the small group events fall by the wayside. Would you say that there's anyone who has so little resources that they can't even do the small events? Yeah, I would I would say say yes. I, Eddie mentioned it earlier. I was just on a retreat where they they brought me on the retreat because he had no volunteers in his 120-person confirmation class. He had no volunteers, and it was hard. Probably the toughest retreat I've ever done in my life. But what I think what made it difficult is that these teens who I, who I was working, who were working with, me and I was working with, they didn't have any example in large or even in the small setting 
of what Jesus could look like in their life and who Jesus was in their life. So yeah, there are parishes with like very minimal where they can't even do that. And that's like a whole nother like yeah. problem in itself. Yeah, that's tough. Cause then what do you prioritize? But I guess it's just as much as you can reach. Yeah. And that he outsourced, but again, I knew that just by going there and helping them out, like I tried to make an impact, but I just knew I probably didn't make any impact at all at that retreat. And I was exhausted after it. And I think I, I called Eddie after and he asked me how it was. And I said, man, like I it sucked. <laughs> like, yeah. Probably get my best talk ever at this retreat. <laughs> and it sucked. Yeah, it's hard when, you know, there's the parable of the seeds that fall on different types of soil. When you just know that, like, you're tossing seeds and they're all falling on rocks <laughs> with the and the, you know, we always give ourselves that backdoor. And it's true. We don't see the fruit. We don't know. But it's like may, maybe there was one kid who, like it really affected and we hold on to that and we'll never know but it's, it's hard when you just you'd like i've got some good got good seeds here and i'm watching as i'm throwing them down a drain like yeah uh and, it, and it's and it's really really hard not anything and it's not anything any fault of that minister he was extremely handicapped god bless his soul for doing what he's doing and it's not anything against the kids it's just the situation that they're in and it makes it very very difficult but I think, yeah, if you really are that limited on resources, nightmare scenario, but I would say you really just focus in on even if it has to start with just one and just really give that teen, somebody who you know is hungry, just give them everything you have and see what kind of change that, that you can make in that person's life. Obviously, you have to keep going with the with the basic requirements of what it is, but like really pour your pour a lot into one person and then they can see if they can affect change into somebody else. And I mean, cause essentially there's no way around it. Discipleship is a pyramid scheme. It's you, you have to, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. It's all, everything is a scam. Uh, so speaking of which Alec, how would you like, I've got a business idea for you. I'm in. <laughs> it's the idea that you select a couple of people who you know are hungry and you walk with them over a long period of time and then they find others who walk with them because like we said jesus took three years and even after three years they weren't that great right at the beginning we all know what happens with like peter really messed it up right at the beginning judas really messed he it up right at the beginning the whole three years yeah <laughs> he just shy so like should have chose 11 like yeah going going back to what we said is it's slow it's a slow process so to be patient with them is what it would be but I think there's another thing that I wanted to talk about is just the idea that there is a big, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of danced around it a lot, but there is a huge pride aspect when it comes to ministry. And I know that that's something that I struggle with a lot. And I've even expressed that concern with you guys in starting a podcast where, you know, we've been but between Alec and Gerardo, I've, we've been talking about starting a podcast for like three years now. And I've always said like, I just, I feel like I'm going to get sucked in. I feel like I'm going to want to, you know, whatever might be just the hype of it all. And there is a big pride element when it comes to ministers is we want to make people cry. We want to, you know, in a good way, we, we want to like be able to stand up in front of people. And after you talk, people come to me think, Oh, you just changed my life. They're crying or whatever it is. Or we at the night that we were leading, like we had 20 kids rest in the spirit and somebody was Mm -hmm. praying in tongues and whatever it is. And again, all good things, but we want to be able to like have that merit badge, like spoke and somebody came up crying to me, like, like, ooh, that's a achievement unlocked for your ministry. I achieved that one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's 
very hard for, for, for me. And I think that's something that is very present in the ministry world and needs to be addressed. And the thing is, is, and I know a lot of people put time into speaking and I, obviously I'm not trying to say that it's, that it's not important and it is a gift to be a good speaker and it is a gift to, to fine tune it. And I respect people who put a lot of time into their craft and make sure that like these people are paying me to talk. So I'm gonna make sure that they get something good and I'm going to put my whole heart into it, everything that I can. But at the same time, really honestly, any idiot can stand up in front of 500 people and say an inspirational story. You know, there is so many Ted talks that have quote unquote changed people's lives, but really that means that they forget them a month later. And you know, you don't even have to be in a relationship with Christ at all. You just have to be moderately charismatic and have like no fear of public speaking. Or even you can even be like, there's a way to make that work too, where you can be like an awkward kind of guy and like get up there and just kind of try have that like awkward charm and that can work too. And the thing is you don't need, like, you can just fake it. Like all you, give, need, to, yeah, all you need to know is John three sixteen and Philippians true. four thirteen. Yeah. That's all you need in your arsenal. People. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, give me, give me 500 bucks and I'll go stand up in front of and make up a story. Like I can go pull some guy off the street and be like, here, make up a story about how you like we're in a gang and churned your life around and whatever it might be. And if you sell it, you're going to inspire people. And we know that, and I know that this is kind of in the meta right now for ministry, but I think it's hitting it right on the head where it's the idea of inspiration versus transformation. It's the hype word right now. Everyone's talking about it, but I think it's very important because the idea of inspiring is really anybody can do that. Like I can watch a movie. I can listen to a song. I can watch a TED talk. I can do whatever and be inspired. You know, the, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. You set your mind to it. Like I, you hear an inspirational story and that really fires you up for a little bit, but they're not being transformed into saints. And the idea being, I mean, to put it simply, here's something you never hear in the ministry setting is you walk up and be like, oh, how's the post retreat life going? And they say, you know, it's going great. It's been like six months and I, it's like, I just got back from retreat today. That's something that you don't hear ever. It's always, oh, it's been rough or like, it's not hard. on my retreats. <laughs> That's because Gerardo doesn't talk to anybody afterwards. I don't. And the idea is you have to be transformed. You, you were looking for transformation into saints and that process is slow and that process is steady. You can think of the idea of a boat being lifted off of the ground like a, a beached boat on the sand, how, how it gets lifted into the water is the tide comes in very slowly, goes a lot in and a lot back out into the untrained eye. If you're watching it, you would think nothing's happening. You're just saying the water's coming in and coming out. But what's happening is it's coming in a little bit further and going back a little bit less until ultimately the boat is completely surrounded by the water and it lifts it off the ground. And then you can take it out to deep shore. And that's the way that the ministry works i would say is it's that slow transformation versus the idea is if a tidal wave just comes in it'll one not lift the boat off probably actually could even damage the boat where it's gonna be too much for it to handle at once and knock out so god is very patient with us when he's making us into saints and so we need to be patient with our own ministry and i think that that desire that we have to you know be the inspirational speaker is at least and i i feel it in my own heart is a lot of times i feel a pull towards that where I want to be a speaker. But if I'm not laying groundwork, if I'm not truly encountering people or no, truly leading people, leading laying people. the groundwork and truly 
trying to help people live the life of a disciple on top of those speaking events, it's not a genuine desire from God. It is not a pure of heart desire. What I am looking for is pride. What I am looking for is fame. I'm looking for it in literally the worst place possible, but maybe it's just because I couldn't get it anywhere else is I'm finding a way to like find my niche. Niche? Niche. No. <laughs> finding, finding a way to find my... Finding a way to... to a way that I can leave my mark on this earth as opposed to leading others to be forever in heaven. I just, I, I know it's very toxic for me and I think it can be for a lot of people is that we need to have that desire to walk with kids, to walk with people long-term. And then again, Jesus preached to 5,000. That's fine. That's good. But where's your, where's the desire of your heart? Is your desire of the heart to be up there and then back in your hotel room? Or is your desire mm. to speak with them and then when people after after you're done talking, look at the people who you're ta- who were there and walk with them and then go back to wherever you're from and go back to your ministry where you're walking with people consistently. And that can take its form in a lot of different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be you're working at a, as a campus minister or as a youth minister, or as a confirmation coordinator. There's ways for you to walk with people in many aspects of your life. You can reach out to even your friends who you know, and intentionally meet together to push each other to heaven. You can find ways to establish community in your parish of maybe with people who are new to the parish or maybe new to the town or whatever it is. But that desire that we need to have to have roots laid into the ground that people can, that is nurturing to people, even yourself, that is going to have lasting fruit as opposed to just, you know, being that person who has a desire to seek out a quick, Like, I want to be the person who inspires you and then leave and never check back in with you. The importance of putting down roots in ministry with people and letting those roots grow over time. Yeah, I mean, and for me, this is especially relevant because I'm actually not a minister, but I think that viewing my life through this same frame does help me to be more fruitful in my evangelization or even just in sharing my own faith in general. And there's a Kevin Hart in one of his stand-up specials, he talks about this where he says, you ever meet people who are just like so in love with Jesus and that you say good morning, they're like, it is a good morning because Jesus woke us up. I love him. Do you? And it's like so in your face. And that's not exactly what we're trying to say, but in a way it is. It's that to view the world through a lens of the love of Christ. And so like you're saying, it's kind of with everyone you meet, but before you even get there, just with the people around you to be taking the time to be that love of Christ to the people near you. Yeah. The hot button word is always to form intentional disciples, yourself included in that, but we push each other to authentic discipleship, which we recognize takes time and takes patience and takes knowing people and knowing what their weaknesses are and fostering their strengths. Yeah. And the, the church couldn't survive if every member of it was a minister. Who would they be ministering to? And then I guess the end game of that would be everyone in the world is converted. Everyone is a minister. What what does that look like? That's not man fully alive. So we do need, and you've kind of mentioned this before, but we do need good Catholic engineers, good Catholic teachers, good Catholic parents. Like we don't all have to be ministers, but we do all need to be disciples. If anything, we could do with probably less ministers. The last thing we we, we always fewer. poke fun of with it fewer. We always poke fun of it on this podcast. The world does not need another Catholic guys podcast. The world doesn't need another Catholic circuit speaker. 
but the world does need uh, a Catholic mechanic who is not going to rip you off when you go into your work. The world does need a Catholic doctor who's not going to prescribe you with things that you don't need or practices that are maybe shady or whatever it is. And a, a lawyer who will actually stand up for people who need it and not just care about money. That's what the world needs. And, you know, imagine living in a world where you're, you are living for the glory of God, doing whatever job you do, and you go outside and then your mailman is living for the greater glory of God and your trash man is living for the greater glory of God. Your plumber is living for the greater glory of God. Everybody who you meet, that's the ideal world. And that's what we are all striving for. But the importance of like we talked about is that does take time. So there's a second favorite movie of all time. First favorite being Princess Bride. Fantastic movie. I'll get into that later. <laughs> but uh, Man for All Seasons. Great movie about the life of St. Thomas More. Tell me and, more. Oh, I will. <laughs> to <laughs> try and keep it brief, there's Thomas is uh, higher up in the courts, and there's a young man who had just graduated from school named Richard, and he wants Richard wants to be employed by Thomas. So he asks him, he follows him around, he begs him, employ me, employ me, employ me. Thomas is saying no for a while, and then he comes one day, he says, okay, I have a job for you. Richard says, great. Thomas has a teacher. Teacher? You'd be a great teacher. And who would know it? You, your students, your family, God. Not a bad audience, that. And the lines may be off here or there, but the good. idea being... It's a good performance. Was- <laughs> <laughs> and the Oscar goes to, yeah. the Oscar goes to Alec. Um, but the idea being... The idea being, how much are we valuing the impact we're having on people's lives? And how much are we valuing our pride? Are we doing this because we want people to know we're good at it or think we're good at it? Or are we doing this to actually make a difference? And is it enough for us? Is it enough for us if we're making a difference in one person's life right in front of us? And the only people who know that are them, me, and God. If that's not enough we might need to reevaluate what we're valuing. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a talk I heard uh, just regarding that. And she was speaking to worship leaders, the speaker, and she said that if the light in you is not greater than the light on you, you will be destroyed. If the light in you is not greater than the light on you, you will be destroyed. And I think we want this attention to be amazing youth ministers. We want this attention to have the numbers, to be the best speaker. And we focus on that and we forget that it's it's in the slow process, the little things, the one-to-one where we really make an impact. You know, I first year in campus ministry, the land of gracious living, um, the land of milk and honey. It's been an amazing, an amazing journey this year as a campus minister. I was in parish ministry, so I was, I was doing all that also. But... I remember my first day when the bell rang and there were students all over the hallways. I got overwhelmed. I like went back to my freshman year of high school and I was freaking out because there were so many students. And in my head, I said to myself, I need to like save all 1700 of these kids. And I was talking to one of my coworkers and he said, and it's advice that I've taken with me throughout this entire year. He said, Gerardo, don't focus on the 1700, focus on the ones that are right in front of us. And if you do that, we will, we will change the campus. And that's been my focus. Whenever people walk into campus ministry or are on retreats with us, when I see them, when I talk to them, I love them. And, and I meet them exactly where they're at and I, I speak with them and they bring their friends to meet me. 
and I've seen amazing results uh, in doing that and in doing so. So don't focus on the 1700 on this campus. Just focus on the ones that God has put in front of you and love those ones and you will see change. And that's beautiful. And I love that. And the question I would then have is, it almost becomes an issue of practicality where is that enough to keep your job? Because some positions are measured by numbers. So it is annoying to even ask it, but would you rather take that approach of focusing on the one? Maybe you only make a difference with the one, but you lose your job because you're viewed as not pumping out enough numbers. Is that better than doing what it takes to keep your job while trying to get to the one? How do you approach that? Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot there. And there's always conversations that can be had with pastors and a genuine, honest conversation be like, what are we trying to accomplish here with this ministry? Are we trying to form saints? And there are, there's, uh, you know, you can have that conversation with staff and just in, but on a practical note, you do the big events. You just, it is what it is. You have to do what you got to do. And you put on your confirmation, you make sure you got your youth nights, but I think it's really important, you know, going back to that pyramid scheme is, a big part of pyramid schemes is to find people who are interested. It's not. And so you find the people at those events who are there by choice, who have been every single time and they ask you questions and it seems that they have a searching heart and you make sure that those people do not fall by the wayside. You never should a big event make it so that you are shortchanging these people who actually want it and make sure that you are giving them enough to grow. And even to the point where you could say, to, like it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be hard for you, but like encourage them to meet on their own or encourage them to get groups going or, you know, you meet with them once a week and you disciple them. And then when that goes well, then they go off and make their own discipleship groups and all of that. And I think that that is very important. And this is why I love the campus ministry setting again, to make a plug for that is this because you get to see them every single day in campus ministry and they can't hide from you in and youth ministry. They, maybe they're having a bad day. They, they leave. They they don't they don't go to youth night that night. Campus ministry they can't skip school. So if they're having a bad day, you can tell right away. Be like, you seem off today. Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they just got had a bad game for their sports team. Maybe they failed the test. Maybe they got problems at home. But there's nowhere for them to go. And you, even those small encounters every day are very effective. All right. So this there's a lot here. There's a lot here. So could you guys kind of give us some takeaways? What do what do we want to bring from this hour? The biggest thing for me, this is just a personal pet peeve, is if you know somebody who's working in ministry or you're working in ministry yourself and you want to know how an event's going, never go, how was your event? How many people were there? Um, I have a personal promise that if someone asked me that, if the first thing out of their mouth is how many people were there, I have to hit them. So, uh, Punch. (laughs) Yeah, punch to the face, pile drive to the face. (laughs) And... But seriously, though, lead with the question of how was the prayer one that's most important and how was the community? And I think that focus all of your effort in ministry is by answering those two questions. Were the people praying in a very real way? Were they encountering real community, real Catholic community that's pushing them to heaven? Yeah. And, And lastly, just to end this off, if you are a youth minister, get out. Just kidding. <laughs> if you are a youth minister and you are struggling in your, at your parish and parents, your pastor, whoever doesn't understand why you're not getting 100 teens at your youth night, don't be discouraged. 
know that it is tough to be in the vineyard. It is hard to have the position and to be in the position that you are. But don't be discouraged enough to love those who are right in front of you. And I've been there. I've, I've been at the point where I've I put a ton of work into like a high school night or a Bible study. And I, I'm sitting on the couch in the youth room and I'm waiting for people to show up. And only two people show up and I'm like, oh, this is a waste of time. They are not a waste of time. Love them. Love those people well. Be there for them. Walk with them. And God will reward you in heaven. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. That'll be it from us here at Sinner's Take. You'll hear us next time.